Hi, and welcome to Alchemy of Genres 2021. Welcome to the new year, people. And this is going to be a little bit of a long podcast. I did not realize how long until I compiled all of the titles together. And I tried to break it down and then realized uh, too many titles that I thought were important for various reasons. So just bear with me. And if you read the blog that goes with this, you'll see all of them in there. Also, apologies if you hear random meowing or cat fighting sounds, because I had to record this from home due to a crazy work day, and sometimes the cats don't agree with the shush, be quiet rule that podcast recording requires. So... Moving on and trying to get through this as quickly as possible, the subject this time we are doing is historical fiction as well as alternative historical fiction. And uh, I know many people would be like, how does historical fiction work with speculative fiction? But the reason I'm including it here is so that you can kind of see a comparison, like contrast the two together. There are some really good historical fiction novels. And there are some really good alternative historical fiction novels where they just change a couple of little things and everything is different. Uh, People like Harry Turtledove, that's their entire, most of their career, uh, where they focus on a historical era, change a few things, and then see where the writing takes them. There are a lot of different ways. Some people just build a whole world and some people just build an instance and build from and go from there so that's what this is I thought it would be an interesting exercise to take some actual historical fiction and compare and contrast to some um, alternative historical fiction but I'm calling it alternative historical fiction because I'm literally only focused on alternative histories that take place a while ago not alternative histories of like parallel universes or something just to clarify so this caveat also this is a very difficult genre for me I didn't think I had a whole lot because it's not my favorite genre with historical fiction or even alternative historical fiction that was more than I thought I had but it is not my favorite it There are some amazing titles out there. If you like historical fiction, dive deep. There are a lot of things to explore. It is difficult because it forces us to see how things used to be and how things have or have not changed and whether or not they have changed for the better or for the worse. It especially relates to items of minorities, people of color, people with disabilities, people of different religious backgrounds as well as LGBTQ and uh, women's issues. So all of these things have been looked at from various perspectives in the past and looked at in various ways in the current day and were affected by things in the past. So it forces you when you're reading historical fiction to confront them head on and and it can be difficult to read. Thus, it's important to read. But I can only take so many at a time. Because they tend to focus on tragic elements, as opposed to a history book where you can read a span of history. Anyway, 
Alternative history is a very small section of sci-fi, which focuses on the what if from small changes in history and what that does to the world. So things like uh, what if the Nazis won World War II, which is a very famous version that is now on Netflix, and uh, the Man in Hyde Castle from Philip K. Dick that they turned into a movie or TV show rather. I have not read the book in recent memory. I might have read it a million years ago and I never saw the TV series. So I decided not to include it in this, but that is one of those classic examples. I am focused, as I said, on this because you can highlight differences and see the subtleties. Um, but either way, I thought it would be an interesting exercise and do something completely different. So let us begin. Some historical fiction actually has its own genres, so if you have a special part of historical fiction that you like, you can just focus on things in that era. One of those genres is it historical fiction has it from romance is their regency romances, Victorian romances, etc, etc. So I'm just going to briefly mention my favorite historical romantic fiction author, Amanda Quick. It's one of the uh, nom de plumes for Jane Ann Krentz. All of the things from Amanda Quick are historical fiction, but she moves around time-wise. She also, from like, say, Victorian to the 20s, etc., etc. And she sometimes adds paranormal elements to it. For instance, the Lake March books or the Arcane Society series, and some of them she ties together with her current series. So they'll be like, here's the historical one, and then here's a modern one, and then she'll throw in her futuristic sci-fi romantic series and explore it further there. So if you want to explore romantic fiction and historical fiction, I highly recommend Amanda Quick. Um, but there are thousands of authors who specialize in all the various eras of history. Feel free to explore and have fun. Let's begin for real. Karma by Kathy Ostler. Ostler? I really should have a pronunciation guide for names. This is a teen book. By happenstance, I have a lot more historical fiction teen books because I work as a teen librarian and I am forced to read more of them to keep up and to know what's the important literature. So just be aware. Karma is a book in poetry, but it's a novel, and it's set in October 1984 during the riots in Delhi when Sikh families were targeted and killed in retribution for Prime Minister Indira Gandhi's death. Maya is 16, and is in India with her father from Canada to perform final burial rites for her mother. Father and daughter are separated due to the riots, and the story is from Maya's perspective as a Sikh, but also as a non-native Indian teen struggling to understand what is happening, but also struggling to survive the riots. It is a very big book, but it's a quick read because it's in poetry, and it I thought it would be great to show a piece of historical fiction in a non-traditional uh, format, but also in an area of history that isn't looked at very often. So you should definitely check that out. It's written for teens, but can be enjoyed by anybody. 
Hoodoo by Ronald L. Smith is another YA book. It's a really small, quick YA book. It's actually on the tween teen end of the spectrum. And it's an eerie and atmospheric story set in 1930s Alabama, featuring a young boy who dreams of the dead rising from their graves and finds that his dreams are becoming true. Hoodoo Hatcher has been around folk magic, or hoodoo, for his whole life. It runs in his family. Now someone or something is after him, and he must use his knowledge and find his courage to battle back these supernatural odds. It feels like this shouldn't be in the historical fiction, but should be in alternative fiction. But it's not, because it's so firmly based in realistic fiction and with the beliefs of that time. And then the author allows a little bit of a creepy, I don't want to call it a horror vibe, but horror light, because it's more like a creepy ghost story and some creepy things happen. And it's really interesting because you as the reader aren't really sure how much of it is real magic or just perceptions of magic. And, and that's why I left it in historical fiction because it's more strongly a historical fiction book and it's, and it's really well done and, and really interesting. In Darkness by Nick Lake is, uh, won the Prince Award for YA fiction. So it's definitely a good one. It's a historical fiction, but it's got a smidge of paranormal fiction, like a hint of it under the surface. So you jump back and forth between Shorty, a boy trapped in a hospital during the earthquake in Haiti, and Toussaint L'Overture. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but he's the Haitian rebel who led the slave revolts 200 years ago and faced down Napoleon to force the French out of Haiti. He's very well known and was a feared figure in European um, slave owners and European nationalists. So this boy's spirit, the paranormal part happens when the boy's spirit is able to touch upon and inhabit Toussaint in his uh, brain and speak to him. And then vice versa, Toussaint comes to him and can see what he's doing and, and get a sense of the history and the way the world works, albeit while trapped in a hospital during an earthquake. It's... There's commentary, speculation on what, how the past heroes functioned and what they would think of the modern world, especially as relates to gang violence and the cycle of poverty. Like, what were we fighting for? Is this, a, is this all we got out of it type thing? But it's really intriguing, really well done, lots of suspense, and it rightfully won an, a very highly touted award and could be read and enjoyed by anyone, even though it's a teen book. Elizabeth Wine is one of my favorite authors and one of the few of my favorite authors that exclusively does historical fictions. She has many, many stories. A lot of them seem to be set in World War II. That's her favorite era. And she has a couple that are have crossovers. So Codename Verity is her best known, and it's one of my favorites. Set in October of 1943, a British spy plane crashes in Nazi-occupied Germany. The pilot and the passenger are best friends. Verity has been captured by Nazis, 
and her story is told in the form of a written confession of how she became a spy and who worked with her and who the pilot is that flew her there. The pilot is on the run and her story is of her hiding and trying to get information on Verity. Is it possible to rescue her? And also, how do I get home? Because she's not a trained spy. She was just a pilot and the train and the plane went down. The fact that this is a teen novel, but it's got such strong imagery of the horrors of being captured and tortured is strong. It's not a novel I would give to a young child. However, it's not graphic either. It's just strongly stated. And the undercurrents, I think, are more strongly felt by the adults who read it. And the teens, especially if they're not mature enough to gather the undercurrents, will just breeze by it but still be, wow, that's really uncomfortable and horrifying. For instance, the way they entice her, force her, really, to start her memoir, a confession, is that she agrees to write it if they will stop the, well, the torture that they've been doing, but also they will give her clothes to wear again. And that struck a chord with me just being a teen girl and forced to be naked in front of all of these people all of the time. It was just a horrible thought of just the psychological part of the torture, I think. But it, they don't go in depth. It was just one sentence. They'll give me my clothes back. Done. And I just was like, whoa. So that's Codename Verity. And the next title by Elizabeth Wine is Black Dove, White Raven. And this one is Amelia and Teo's mothers are best friends. But when Teo's mom dies in a stunt gone wrong, Amelia's airplane stunt, I should clarify. Amelia's mom adopts him. The problem is that this is 1930s America and being an African-American son of a Caucasian family is not done and is also has a lot of built-in issues in with Jim Crow and all of those things. So the family moves to Ethiopia following Teo's mom's wishes that he be in a quote-unquote place where he won't be discriminated against for the color of his skin. But now Italy has threatened war because it's the beginning parts of World War II and everything is a mess, and no one is safe, and they still are facing stresses by being a mixed cultural family in Ethiopia at this time of war during colonial uh, occupation. So lots of layers, lots of interesting um, cross-sections of, of problems and issues that are covered in Black Dove, White Raven. Really good book. Vengeance Road by Aaron Bowman. Not usually a fan of westerns, but this one was different and I found it interesting, so I wanted to include a range. Kate Thompson's father is murdered for a journal that supposedly reveals the location of a gold mine. This is during the gold rush. Kate disguises herself as a boy and she is determined to find answers and to exact vengeful justice on those responsible for the death of her father. The journey is full of suspense and betrayals, but it's also a story about Kate 
who's just growing and learning about black and white and gray and deciding whether justice and vengeance are the same, which I thought was a really powerful thought process behind a really quick, seemingly not too deep read. And the fact that she has to hide and be a boy while she's doing this and live in fear of what happens if she's discovered is uh, just a peek for those who weren't around in that time period on the differences between being male and female in a time where everyone had strict roles and women didn't even have a right to exist without a man to take care of them. So that I just thought it was a an interesting, quick point of view with a little bit of a, a moral quandary to solve as well. The Book Thief is one that was published originally for YA. They republished it and repackaged it for adults when the movie came out. And I've seen everybody enjoying it. So it can be enjoyed by all ages. Um, I haven't seen the movie, but the book is written from the perspective of death, as in the Grim Reaper. And this story is set in Germany during World War II. The fact that death is the narrator and is the prime voice that you hear, everyone else is at a distance, it allows for a depersonalization of events so that you see them also from a distance and you can see how horrible they are, but you aren't in the head of the person that those horrible things are happening to. So it allows the story to not be so cons constantly gut-wrenchingly awful as you are living in this time frame of Nazi Germany. And the main character is Liesel. And Liesel calls her the book thief because he sees her stealing books from book fires. And he's intrigued and he follows her life and pops in at various points. And one of those points is when she and her family are harboring a Jewish man in their home and hiding him from the SS and all of those who would try to find him and how that hiding affects them, how the person living in their hidden compartment in the basement affects them and how their lives all change due to the experiences they're going through. It's a really well done movie as far as I was told, but it's an amazing book and definitely should be explored. Fever, 1793 by Laurie Hulse Anderson is set in, as it says, 1793, and it's the yellow fever epidemic. It's set in Philadelphia. It focuses on a middle-class girl. Her family owns a small business, and I believe it's a bar or cafe or something like that. And it's basically focusing on her experiences, beginning with the the very beginning part where people are starting to get sick and then leading up to the truly horrific numbers of the dead and all of the problems that go with being in a city where germs aren't understood and people are dying all around you. And it was just a really interesting look. It won a lot of awards. It's not a... Uh, really thick book so it's pretty fast read but the topic is not a fast read and especially in these times of quarantining due to covid it's quite enlightening the hired girl 
by Laura Amy Schlitz is set in 1911. Joan starts a diary, so the book is in diary format, as she leaves her farm life in Pennsylvania and runs away to Baltimore to work as a hired girl. She's cooking and cleaning for a prominent Jewish family in Baltimore, Maryland. Joan pretends she is 18 to get the job, but she is actually 14, and she has a lot to learn about city life and Jewish families because she has never met a Jewish family. She has no idea of their beliefs, their customs, uh, anything to do with it aside from the propaganda that she has gotten on a small farm in Pennsylvania. And also the racism and sexism from the turn of the century. Uh, racism against uh, the Jewish population, as well as the sexism of being a girl working for a living with no one to protect her or care for her because there is no man in her life. And, and there's a little bit about the maturity levels as well because she's pretending to be 18, but she's only 14 and she does not have a lot of life experience. And that, that at some point does become a, a factor in the things that have to her happen to her. Lord, I need to learn to speak. Okay. Anyway, it was a really well done book and I thought it portrayed something really interesting, a part of history that isn't seen as often and and it just gave a doorway and a window. And it's a uh, published for teens, but again, can be enjoyed by anyone. Cloud and Wallfish by Anne Nesbitt, another teen novel. This one is set in communist uh, Berlin, pre the breakdown of communism. So Noah and his parents have changed names and moved behind the Iron Curtain into East Berlin. He doesn't really understand why. As a reader, you will kind of understand the undercurrent of parents as spies. I still don't understand why they brought their son but I think it was important to the mission that they have a child to prove they were a family and they weren't spies because who would bring their child on a spy mission but he's not getting all of that this book is all about his new life and his friend downstairs who he doesn't have a lot of friends and now he's in a whole new country and he doesn't speak the language and now his friend downstairs has disappeared and what happens to all of them when he won't stop looking for her because he doesn't understand why people have just pretended that she never lived there. This is a suspenseful story but features a disability. Noah has a very bad stutter and anxiety related to that and highlights not only the communist issues but also the changes in attitudes and the handlings of disabilities over the years. I This is another quick read and um, from an era of history that a lot of people don't dive into and also with the spy angle gives you a different side to the issue but from a child's perspective not the cool I'm so cool spy angle but from somebody who's just dragged along and like what the heck is going on a classic that has won a lot of awards in the series and that it was technically published for children um, but so tween grades like five and six, but you could read it up to grade eight. I know some, uh, classrooms still do. And that's Richard Peck 
It's the Long Way from Chicago series. The two books that I remember really well were A Long Way from Chicago and A Year Down Yonder. Um, But basically, the Long Way from Chicago starts with Joey and Mary Alice sent to live with their grandmother in the Depression because they live in Chicago and their parents can't afford to feed everyone and they are really worried about what is happening to their children while they're scrambling for jobs and trying to keep everyone together. So they decide to send their daughter and son to rural Illinois to live with a grandma. And so the both books, in fact all three really, are funny and sweet and they highlight differences between rural and urban populations at that time in the and also the effects of the depression and how people dealt with them differently in the urban versus the um, rural environments but it's also a humorous look at life in a small town it won multiple awards the long way from chicago won the newberry honor award and then a year down yonder won the newberry the following year so they're really well written and and they're also really funny, which there's not as many historical fictions that also include humor in them. The grandmother is a, a hoot and a half and I love her to death. A little more serious is Out of the Easy. Excuse me. I have to extricate a cat from my microphone. Okay. Sorry about that. Thank you for understanding. Hopefully you won't jump over and destroy everything. Where was I? Out of the Easy by Ruta Sepetis. Set in New Orleans in the 1950s, Josie is trying to go to college and make a life for herself outside of New Orleans because everyone in New Orleans knows her as the daughter of a brothel prostitute, which obviously affects her possible future and the way she is perceived and the way she is treated in her town. The story revolves around a murder and Josie ends up caught up in the unraveling of who, how this person was murdered and who did it. It's a classic murder mystery, but it also exposes the prejudices and racism and sexism inherent to the time as well as a little bit of classism because, you know, you're the child of a prostitute and obviously you can't expect to be treated the same as someone who's a wealthy landowner and not a person of color. So, out of the easy, really well done. It's a YA mystery, but I would err on the side of older due to the background and and her frank discussion of what her mom does and how it affects her and her dreams for the future. So, really cool book to check out. Riot by Walter Dean Myers is set in July of 1863 and centers around the race riots in New York City. Claire is the daughter of a black father and an Irish mother, and she finds herself torn between both sides of the rioters. This is written for on a younger side, so it's not as angsty 
as some of the older books. And Walter Dean Myers is an amazing writer, and he did a really good job of putting this quick short book highlighting issues of race and class together. And sadly, a lot of that hasn't changed. But it's not a deep dive into a character study. It's it's a quick look at a young girl's perspective. And she's a little bit of an innocent, clueless young girl to allow the readers of modern times to better understand her, I think. But if you're reading it as an adult, you're going to be like, how is she quite so innocent? She's never seen racism before. There's a, so you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. But still an excellent book. And unfortunately, with all of the rioting that has been happening in the last year, still appropriate. Sad, but true. Uh, next book is Black Duck by Janet Taylor Lyle. And this one is another teen book. Big shock. I know. I'm sorry. Set during Prohibition in Rhode Island, when Reuben and Jed find a dead body and end up caught in the drama of warring Prohibition gangs. There's lots of action and a really interesting look at a time period when a lot of people romanticize what Prohibition was like, but this is like the actual nuts and bolts of living in a town caught between two illegal gangs, really, and and struggling to make it work and survive. And I just thought it would be an interesting look. Water for Elephants by Sarah Gruen. Not a teen novel. Look at that. I did not read I did not watch the movie. I'm kind of afraid to because I really love the book. But if you haven't read this, you should. It won a million awards, New York Times bestseller and all that. And I liked it anyway, which is shocking. So Jacob, recently orphaned in 1932 depression, he hops a train and joins a circus. He is a vet student who hasn't quite finished because depression and money and his parents just died. And, but he has enough knowledge of veterinary sciences and given that they can pay him less because he doesn't have a doctorate, he gets to be the vet in charge of caring for the animals in the circus. He meets Marlena, who is the star of an equestrian act and who is married to a charismatic but twisted animal trainer. It's a really wonderful mix of hidden circus culture and also historical story with a little bit of a love story in there. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting and it jumps back and forth between the historical part, at least in the book, and his current life living in an, uh, an assisted living home where they think he's completely losing it and nobody believes anything he says. So I also find that a great juxtaposition to see where he is now in the current times and where he was and how much people will believe of what he has to say. All Creatures Great and Small by James Harriet is an autobiographical fiction wherein it really happened to him. He really was a vet in the Yorkshire Dales. He really fought in World War II, but he fictionalized it a lot so that he could have dialogue and story and, and all of that. Um, it details his life as he takes over a vet practice 
in a rural environment, which is very different from what he's used to in a city. And this is also in the 40s, so there's a whole lot of uh, culture and class and other issues that he has to learn about. And you would think, oh, it's all England, it's all the same, but it's not. And there's a lot of different um, class issues and also important parts of life that are different in a rural environment than are important in a more city environment. And he makes it fun and interesting and funny. They did an amazing TV series from the BBC uh, about 25 years ago. And someone told me a rumor that they're thinking of redoing it. So who knows? May come back. There's a series of these books from James Harriet, the All Creatures Great and Small series. You can read them. They're classic and, and fun. The Kite Runner by Khaled Hosseini is the story of two boys. One is a wealthy boy and one is the son of the wealthy boy's father's servant. It's set against the story of Afghanistan over the last 30 years. And this is kind of historical fiction, kind of contemporary fiction together. Because again, you're bouncing back and forth between the characters and their stories and their history of where they came from and where they are now and how that history has affected where they are now. It was a devastatingly good book. You will cry. But again, written for adults, but um, and some of the subject matter is a little mature, so um, it, because it's set in a wartime and terrible things can happen to people. So use your discretion, I guess. Um, but I know a lot of people have recommended this book on a lot of levels. All the Broken Pieces by Anne E. Berg is another teen novel. It's a very, not very well talked about novel, but I think it should be. It's, the story is from three different perspectives. It's three generations of women faced with an unexpected pregnancy. And you see each perspective. One of them is the modern perspective, but one of them is the grandmother. One of them is the mother, so the grandmother in the 40s, the mother in the 60s, and the daughter. Or maybe it's 50s, 80s, and so I forget the time periods exactly. But their perspective, obviously times have changed, things have changed, and you see the waves and the ripples of the decisions made, and also a look at how some things have changed but some remain the same some of the judgments some of the options some of the decisions made for you and made with you or by you totally different if you go back 50 years versus current day so the three voices are told in very different styles one of them is in poetry format one of them is in first person one of them is very uh, formal sounding in like a diary so you really see you can see easily where each person is coming from and it jumps back and forth in the different stories as they are in current day and back in the day so I I think this should be highly recommended to a lot of people if you want to see the impact and the issues of birth control and uh, just the perception of women and their choices uh, as it's changed or not changed over the years. The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan was is not a children's book and not a teen book, but could be read by teens if they really wanted to. It is four mothers and daughters, really families, 
kind of dating from 1949 to the current days of when this was published, you are really seeing life story experiences from China, the immigration process, how that affected them, how that affected their lives and their their viewpoints growing up Asian and ultimately always about family. It really highlights all the different ways culture shapes us and also how generations shape us, like what is currently happening around you, how your perception affects and your peers affects your viewpoints and your issues. What you have a problem with is based on what you've been told is a problem. So it, it just is a really enlightening book, and especially if you're not from an Asian culture. When the Emperor Was Divine by Julie Atsuka is a teen novel, and you got five points of view. All of them are Koreans during World War II, and it involves the Japanese internment camps there. And this shows a family in wartime, but it's not a, a World War II story that is often told because a lot of times people have not highlighted what happened in Korea during World War II when the Japanese took over. So you can see just a different side of things and how it affected the family in, in the immediate part and then as the story progresses how everything changes or doesn't change and is affected by the decisions that were made for them and the things that happened to them both before they went into internment when they came out and how it happened after so i just thought it was an important story to share and i think more people should read it it was a really good book code talker by joseph bruchak bruchak has written many many books from the viewpoint of a native american he is a native american this book highlights the roles and the treatments of code talkers in World War II through the eyes of a 16-year-old Navajo boy who is called into service for this purpose. And it's one of the only books that I know of that is written about code talkers from the Native point of view, not just from the white American view of how useful they are, but how this war affected them, and also how uh, being 16 years old and responsible for so many things and witness to so many things and yet still not treated as a complete human person you're still lesser than because you are a Native American and therefore count less it was just a really insightful interesting story and you should read it it is written for teens and could be read by anyone and enjoyed by all ages Fly Girl by Sherry Smith. Ida Mae Jones wants to be a pilot like her dad, but being a woman and black makes it impossible. Or almost impossible anyway. She could be a pilot maybe if she was an African American and a man, but now she's out of luck because she's not a man, she's a woman. So when the United States joins World War II, they created the Women Air Force Service Pilots called WASP. Unfortunately, so Ida Mae gets really excited. She's like, yay, I can join and be a pilot. And they say, no, we're not accepting anyone who is not white. In Ida Mae's 
benefit is the fact that she does not appear very much as a quote-unquote person of color she can what they call pass she can pass for white and she decides to in this story so she pretends to be white so that she can fulfill her dream of flying but the as the character progresses through her training and just learning to fly she's finding it harder than it she thought it she would and it's a heavier burden than she expected to be to constantly pretend to be someone else and to lose your entire culture and your entire set of core beliefs in order to achieve your dreams so it is a struggle that is uh written in many in many tongues and in many uh variations throughout african-american history in america uh, sadly so it's a it was a really enlightening and interesting story but also just lots of action and interest not just a lot of talking and angst so teen novel again but really well done and should be read by more people oops i missed a page sorry about the page turning sounds as i do this okay so that's it for the historical fiction, straight historical fiction, for the most part. Now we're going to move on to the alternate historical fiction, and I will explain in my descriptions how they're alternative. So, and if you've heard about some of these series before, hey, bonus. So, Jacoby is the name of the first book, but it's also the name of the series, and it's by William Ritter. It's a Sherlock Holmes-style mystery set in New England in 1892. Magic is real in this place, this alternate history. That's really the only difference. Magic is real. But not a lot of people believe it unless you are forced to confront it. So, Jacoby is the name of the main investigator. And he helps find extraordinary things, Abigail Rook is accepted as his assistant she literally just got off a boat from england and needs a job and is worried that she won't be able to find one because this is 1892 and she sees the posting for an assistant for jacoby and he accepts her without question and now she has to learn investigating and supernatural things just learn to believe in supernatural things at the same time she's fighting assumptions of her female capabilities Interestingly, Jacoby is the only one who doesn't treat her differently, and it says something that the only character not afraid to admit supernatural monsters exist is also the only character that is accepting of a woman as his equal. So, fun and fascinating series. If it's it, it kind of gets lumped in with steampunk, but it's not technically a steampunk. It's just a really interesting historical alternative idea, the paranormal historical fiction idea. Um, so a fun one to start with. That is a teen book, but again, written and anyone can enjoy it. The next one is Bone Shaker by Sherry Priest. Not a teen book, but it is a steampunk. So steampunk is a particular kind of alter um, a historical sci-fi where uh, everyone, it's, it's sort of always the Victorian age and steam is the thing. Some of them have moved forward and it is now the current day, but it's still Victorian England. But the 
there's always magical elements incorporated in there. So this is a classic steampunk tale, and it's set in the Gold Rush times, 1800s, but changes a few things, adds to the population. It, it takes place in Seattle, and um, the author has admitted to moving some elements of things around a bit so that this happens the way that they wanted it to. Basic story, Leviticus Blue's invention of the incredible bone-shaking drill engine for purposes of drilling in the Alaskan wilderness for gold is paid for by the eager Russian government hoping for lots of gold for little money invested with this magical instrument that will allow them to, you know, dig without it blowing up or exploding or freezing. But the bone shaker when tested instead destroys seattle by digging up and destroying everything and as a byproduct of whatever powers the bone shaker the dead begin to rise and the city uh, like everyone dies who is inhaling this it's it's deadly fumes and also it causes your body to rot but you keep walking also the leviticus blue uh, mysterious mysteriously absconded with several uh, bank vaults worth of money and no one saw him leave. So they assume he either died in all of the perils of the of Seattle imploding or he absconded with the money. No one's really sure. Lots of rumors because it's it was a huge event. And everyone had to leave the city because of these fumes and because the ground itself became unstable because of all of the tunnels dug under. Okay, Seattle is walled off to protect everyone because of the fumes. So huge wall, like 200 feet tall, huge thick wall to keep the fumes behind until someday someone can find a way to cure this. The story begins 16 years after Blue's um, bone shaker incident. The widow, Briar, um, Blue's wife at the time, is both shunned due to her husband and his invention, which destroyed the city, but also deified a bit because her father ended up being a hero in the evacuation of the city. And he is... Um, his legacy of the Wilkes uh, who stayed behind and indeed died to protect the, even the criminals who were in the jail so that they could escape and not be trapped behind the lines made him a folk hero. So she is both deified and criminalized from both sides of everyone. She just can't, she's not her own person. Her son is the other, like, that alternates between her voice and her son's voice. Her son just wants to find his own path. He's 16. He's never been behind the wall. He doesn't know his father. He doesn't know his grandfather. And he just wants to be his own person and make his own legacy. But he also is tired of being bullied and told that he's a terrible person because of the family he was born into. So, priest uses these background elements and tells this really cool story of a small medium town reacting to a tragedy because Seattle at the time was not part of the United States. It was still a territory uh, and a really tiny town. But 
not that tiny because it's thousands and thousands of people walking around as the undead. And they find somebody to blame. And those people that they blame have to live, but they aren't living a good life. So it's especially telling that Briar is always defined by either the father or the husband, never by her own merits, even as she goes back into the ravaged city of Seattle to rescue her son, she constantly has to prove herself no one will believe that she is capable, even though she has spent the 16 years of his life providing for him on her own, in spite of all of the extra issues people have thrown at her because your husband is the cause of all this and you should suffer. You probably knew you were in on it with him, weren't you? That sort of thing. It's really an interesting story. Beginning of a series, a trilogy, if you want to finish it, you should check it out. Following that is Dread Nation, which is the beginning of a series as well. Also, it's called Dread Nation, so Dread Nation is the first one, by Justina Ireland. This, set, this book is set... Roughly 16 years after the Civil War was derailed by the dead rising from battlefields of Gettysburg and Chancellorsville. Now the dead have destroyed much of society's social tenants and slaves were freed, but only in order to make them fight the dead. The main character is African-American and all quote-unquote natives and Negroes are required to attend a combat school and they are trained in weaponry and etiquette in order to keep whites safe and not embarrass anyone in their manners. And that is what they are the role they are required to fill. Jane is 16 and she was born two days after all of the zombies started coming. And she is dreaming of learning. She didn't want to go to the school. Her family hid her as long as they could. She is an African-American. But she's also her, um, she's, she's got uh, white heritage as well. And she is dreaming of returning home to fight. But she is not a biddable young lady because she was not treated badly through her life. She was given a voice and a chance to form herself. And so she keeps getting caught not acting properly. And that gets her in trouble. So now the story is that she is caught in a conspiracy. Like the, the main meat of the story starts when she's caught up in a conspiracy and sent to the West for uh, resettlement and just to get her out of the area. And supposedly it's a utopia, but it's not. And what she finds there is so awful and is the forefront of a movement to sort of bring back white power almost, but also a cure for the dead that's not really a cure for the dead. And there's a lot of human elements put in there. I don't want to ruin the whole story, but there's, so there's Jane fighting zombies. She's really good at it, but she's also treated as a second class citizen and she's fighting to survive and thrive. And also there's elements of classism and the appearance like darker skin versus lighter skin uh, are touched on by the jobs they get, the way they're treated 
and also the internal prejudices that those bring um, among some of the the girls in the school and the 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 guys that they interact with. So really, really good. The audio book is also really, really good. And you should check this out. It was published for teens, but can be read by anyone. Although I would recommend older teens, not really young teens, because lots of violence in there, fighting zombies. Um, Years of Rice and Salt by Kim Stanley Robinson is an interesting adventure novel set in a world where 99% of the population was wiped out by the Black Plague. And basically Robinson just proposed what would the world look like if that had happened? How would our world look different if the Black Plague, instead of wiping out a 10% of the population, had wiped out 90% of the population or 99 or something like that? And um, it's just a really interesting walk through that thought process and and so I found it interesting I don't know that it's a that all of the adventures are as adventuresome or suspenseful but still an interesting thought exercise and I and I thought it was worth in in worth pursuing and reading the book Solus is the Parasol Protectorate book number one by Gail Carriger this is a solid steampunk novel and where there's magic and wares and vampires. The only wares are werewolves, but still you have wolf society, you have vampires, you have people and they all interact and they all have their roles to fulfill within societal expectations. Alexia is quote unquote soulless because supernatural abilities don't work around her. And supposedly you need an excess of soul in order to become a werewolf or a vampire. So you're sort of uh, brought into the society if you are believed to have an excess of soul. And then they let you see how it goes and you learn the rules. And then eventually you with you um, undergo the exercise to turn you into a werewolf or a vampire. And... But she cannot be turned, and she can't do any of that because every time a werewolf or a vampire touches her, they become human. And so there's a little bit of fun had with it. She is not your normal, average Victorian heroine. Um, and it's no surprise that this story, and well, this strong, mouthy person who's independent within societal tendencies, but also sarcastic and and funny she finds trouble she's not afraid to take it on and and it's just funny look at a world where who knows what can happen but also takes on the roles and the perceptions of the lgbt society and women's roles in society and throws them on their head with a tongue-in-cheek yes yes i am definitely a proper woman but did you know that a parasol can be decorative and deadly? So it, I really enjoy those books. She has uh, the, Soulless the Soulless series was written for adults. And she has the finishing school books in that same universe that were written for teens. All of them are highly recommended because they're all really well done and fun. 
Okay, next book, Wittershins, Wyborn and Griffin Number 1 by Jordan L. Hawk. Set in the 1800s, this is another one where it's as close to the real 1800s as possible. Magic works, but not everybody believes it. Only select people know about it. So Percival Wyborn is well-born. He's from a prominent family. And he's excellent at reading dead languages, 16 of them in fact, and at hiding himself away from everyone and everything in his desire to not be noticed and just work at the museum and and live his small little life. And that's it. Part of that is a lifetime of bullying. He's too scholarly, he's too small, he's not manly enough, he, all of those things. And partly due to the tragic death of his lost friend and secret love, when he was a teen. Then Griffin, former Pinkerton agent, needs his help with a translation, and together they find a whole lot of trouble as well as each other. This is an adult book, and it's a, a one of those Amazon-only um, books, so you have to have a Amazon Kindle account to read it, and it was definitely not written for children because there is the romance between the two men. This book as I said, keeps close to the societal norms, so it is heartbreaking at times to see Percival and Griffin falling for each other, but trying to keep it all hush-hush and not let anyone know in any way by betraying their feelings in public, because if it is discovered that they are... If it's discovered that they believe in magic, then they're just going to get sent to the madhouse, and in fact, Griffin was sent to the madhouse for being... Um, for, for insisting that he saw something magical and also because they are quote-unquote deviant in their sexuality by being gay and so again it highlights just the sad places that the LGBT society has come from and how far they have progressed and into today but still a really interesting story and an inter I haven't finished the series but I've enjoyed the book it was really well done and had the whole mystery suspense and we'll find the monsters and who's killing people and why are they killing people and how does this tie in and also Percival's best friend is a female archaeologist and she has her own issues with being um told she's not really a doctor she can't really be an archaeologist and she's a woman and how could she possibly so she's his best friend but also his uh sort of um backup when he needs to talk things through and she understands him and 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 supports him and he understands and supports her as well Engineer by C.S. Poe, Magic and Steam, number one. This is actually a novella. It's another Amazon Kindle book, and um, it takes place in 1881. Magic exists, but it is highly controlled, and all users of magic have to be registered and they have an oversight committee with the government. And if you step out of line, there are harsh punishments because the federal government can do what it likes. Gillian Hamilton is a special agent magic caster with the Federal Bureau of Magic and Steam. He is sent to Shallow Grave, Arizona to arrest a madman engineer known as the Tinkerer. He runs into Gunner the Deadly, a notorious outlaw, 
and he has to work with him in order to save the people of the town because while he is an outlaw he is uh, well respected in the town because he only kills the bad guys he operates in the gray whereas the federal government is like hey you're an outlaw you robbed some banks we don't care if you gave the money to the poor you rob banks you're a bad guy so the gunner is forcing um gillian to confront his lack of ability to see gray but they also have conversations about what it's like to live with constant supervision of the government on every aspect of your life and the more they work together the more they find an attraction for each other which adds to the tension as well as the anxiety that gillian is experiencing with how do i go back to living my life now that i've experienced this and um the novella is a quick read because it's a novella the romance is there but it's mostly about the adventure so the romance is not front and center it's not about just here's a romance that happens to be in the west it, it was more like here's a western uh, magical adventure with some romance in there so again highlights the lgbtq need for hiding and begins to question what kind of lives these people that anyone people can have when their whole life is under a microscope and that just registering um process it has happened um native americans were required to register themselves and and different groups of people um cajuns native americans and have at various times had their children taken and uh in order to better educate them in societal norms and away from your native sensibilities. It, it's a terrible cycle that got repeated over and over. U.S. and history is full of, of abuse. And so in this way, you can see the potential for it, but instead of naming a minority, they just name a magic. But the same perception is there. And I just find it a fascinating way to look at it. Uh, Cauldron and Black Sun are novellas from the Shadow... Shadow... What is this? Oh, Shadow Council. I can't read my own handwriting. That's so sad. I'm getting tired. <laughs> the Shadow Council, Council Archives. These are all novellas. It's by Gail Z. Martin and Larry N. Martin. These are, again, Amazon uh, Kindle books. These were written for adults, but they don't have anything in them. They're not romances in any way, shape, or form. Um, the idea is that um, the Shadow Council is a group of supernaturals who work with humans to keep humanity safe from the evil that no one knows is there. Um, and they, uh, Gail Z. Martin with Larry, have written some books set in modern day and then they also explore a future uh, post-apocalyptic thing and then they have this series that is sent uh, centered rather in the 1800s and um, Joseph or Yosef Magarak was a brave man a strong man a hard-working immigrant who only wanted a better life for his family instead he got a bloodbath and from the bloody steel mill strikes of Pennsylvania rose a true man of steel, a steel worker transformed into something more by the power of the old gods. He literally becomes a man of steel um, by one of the uh, old 
I want to say Russian, but I don't think it's Russian, but it's an old god, and I forget the name of it. Um, and uh, now he goes by Joe Mack, and in this, he is in Cleveland, and he's trying to protect those who can't protect themselves. In this particular instance, vampires are stalking the streets and killing mostly immigrant populations, and since he has come from an immigrant population, he's sensitive to those issues. Um in Black Sun, there's other things happening, and he has people he works with, and people he reports to, and also he has this God connection that he can pull out every once in a while to gain divine powers to save people from things and that dwell and will hurt you. It's a really interesting series, and just a really interesting premise, and uh, the the two of them pull out all these really interesting characters and um, folk heroes and give them new life and find gods that maybe you haven't heard of from different populations that aren't well known but they're based in that time period and what's allowed and not allowed and perception versus reality and and it's sad sometimes to see how much has not really changed just insert a different immigrant group in there and they're still vilified and and made to feel less than. So, sad, but true. American history, folks. Full of terrible things. Black God's Drums, I have talked about before, but I'm going to mention it again because it's really, really good. P. Jelly Clark. I know I'm mispronouncing that name, and I'm sorry. Um, it has many mentions of Haitian Revolution. It's um, But in this iteration... It's sort of a steampunky feel because there are um, uh, airships run by um, steam and helium as opposed to planes. But also the Haitian Revolution that freed Haiti spread to um, New Orleans and Louisiana and forced changes that are only good in that part of the country and didn't affect the rest of the country because they knuckled down and were like no 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 we won't let this revolution spread but that difference in culture and the um, Haitian culture coming back and forth into New Orleans um, is explored and as well as the African gods and um, magic is possible and so magic works Clark doesn't shy away from race issues, even if they aren't the focus. And really, the story is uh, just focused on the adventure of saving the the world, and especially New Orleans, from this weapon that has been found and is going to be abused and will destroy New Orleans, but no one will care because it's full of people no one cares about. So, really well done. And it even actually touches on some some queer parts of the story, and um, I hope that Clark writes some more stories. That one's the only one I've seen. That's another Amazon original, uh, only available by Kindle. Uh, Magpie Lord by K.J. Charles. The series is called The Charm of Magpies. I believe I've talked about this one before, but it's been a while, so we'll mention it because it still falls in that 1800 sensibility time. Lucian, exiled to China for most of his life, never planned to return. However, he unexpectedly inherits the earldom. His father and his brother both die unexpectedly, and he has to come back to settle the estate. 
he is now magically attacked by a spell, presumably the one that killed his father and his brother, and his friend finds Stephen to help him. Stephen hates Lucian's family, and there are good reasons and they are explained, but he decides to help Lucian anyway. They help. They need to track down where the curse came from. They have to figure out how to break it. It's a There is a love story here, but it's a slow build, and it's in conjunction with the action and the magic and the the ghosts and the and the and the, the curses and all of that. So uh, makes for a fun read. The author also highlights the differences between the cultures, albeit as interpreted by a white person living in that culture, as opposed to a native Chinese person. Um, but their attitudes towards um, being gay and and having a relationship with another man is acknowledged and and is stated in several times where you know we have to be careful we can't let anybody see us we have to walk in the same direction or maybe i'll leave by the front door and you leave by the back door so no one knows that we were here together it's unfortunately it it is a thing that had to be done at the time so it's just always good to remember that these are the things that people had to go through just to be with someone they cared about and they had to keep everything so hidden and um that had to be really stressful to just live a life that's a lie um, Brian F- Faulkner has written a fun ser- book. This is a teen book, and it's the Battlesaurus series. There's only two books in the series, The Rampage at Waterloo and The Clash of Empires. Basically, the historical changes are that dinosaurs were not wiped out, although many have gone extinct in the uh, European continent due to population and constant hunting. It's set in the 1700s, so now that the uh, colonial Americas have opened up and and Canada, they have discovered species they thought were extinct, and now they find them thriving in the United States. Also, you have Napoleon, who finds a way to harness and use those dinosaurs, such as the Tyrannosaurus rex, and turn them into battle war machines. And now we come to the Battle at Waterloo, as fought by Napoleon using dinosaurs as giant weapons of war because basically you just point them in a direction and go, go, and they'll just tear everything apart in front of them. So it's an interesting twist, well-planned for the ways it loops together and tears apart different parts of actual history and what's possible and what's not. Um, you got the Napoleonic part, you've got dinosaurs and why they're still around. Very much a battle-driven story, very heavy on action, light on plot, so don't think about it too hard. But it's fun, really interesting. The covers are amazing, and this is a teen book, but I think it's it's a fun exploration of all the places you can take alternative histories, and, and you should explore it if you want to try those sort of thing. Another teen book um, that's also a mystery and a ghost story is The Screaming Staircase. This is the Lockwood and Company series by Jonathan Stroud. This change in these books is that some strange phenomena has happened and it causes ghosts to become real, basically. But only children can see them and only children can fight them. However, these spirits are real and they can kill, hurt, and maim anyone. Doesn't matter if you can see them, you can just be pushed down the stairs and killed or whatever. So um, this causes an industry 
that's based on children who are the ghost hunters and facing all the dangers and they have to be trained but the people who are the adults and in charge can't actually see what they're fighting and they can only explain to them how to what they think it happens and the theories behind it but they can't actually assist them in it and obviously this is going to lead to some issues with um children being taken advantage of not treated well because they're still children it's still set in a vaguely victorian roughly 19th century uh time span when children did not have a lot of rights and were viewed to be just workhorses and property of parents so it's just an interesting premise for a children's book where the children have very few rights but a lot of responsibilities and are forced into these work situations um and the main characters for the lockhart and company series are lockhart and his friends who are teens who have escaped other people's work to open their own agency and they're trying to function as independents and fight monsters on their own terms uh monsters i say ghosts mostly and the everyday perils of running a small business but all of them are 16 and younger, but also facing the real knowledge that is at some point they're going to age out of being able to do their job and what happens then. So they're competing with uh, state-run industries and well-oiled machines run by adults who are taking advantage of children and they're trying to run their own business and keep the lights on and keep things going. And it's just a fascinating series the ghost stories are creepy and awesome and um, you should definitely check these out. And the audiobooks are pretty good for them too. Dragon Slayer of Trondheim, the story of Owen, book one by E.K. Johnson, Johnston, excuse me. Uh, this is a YA book. This historical twist is that dragons are real and dragons eat oil and or are attracted to fuel sources, especially if it produces heat. So if you are going to fly in a plane, you are in a lot of danger because a dragon is probably going to destroy that plane. If you're going to be in a car, you have to watch for dragons. And of course, there's a whole dragon slayer industry of people who have uh, learned to fight dragons and take up the mantle of, of how to fight a dragon and the inherent danger in fighting dragons. And there's different types of dragons that are attracted to different things and it's affected their life and the way things work. Trondheim is a tiny little town that doesn't have its own dragon slayer because dragon slayers protect the cities and the small towns fend for themselves. But Owen is a dragon slayer and he's decided to help Trondheim and he wants to save the town, even though it's just him and he has no help and no one believes in him. It's really, really well done. You've got just this slight element of what is different about this world. And then the rest of it just plays out uh, beautifully. So well done. I will give an honorable mention and then we will end this, which is a very funny historical uh, book called Lamb by Christopher Moore. If you know Christopher Moore, he's irreverent. I think of him as the written version of the Monty Python um, uh, humor school. So Lamb's subtitle should give you all you need to know about the book. 
which is the gospel according to Biff, Christ's childhood pal. And this goes through the missing years of Jesus as a teenager and a 20-year-old between him, uh, because biblical perspectives go from him as a child and jump to him as a 30-year-old. So this is the lost years of Jesus, according to Biff, who's Jesus Christ's best friend in his 20s and teen years. Obviously said with a lot of humor, and uh, only if you um, are open to humor, tongue-in-cheek, poking fun at um, Christianity and religion in general. Um, So... There's a lot of different types of uh, historical fiction and or alternative historical fiction. And I would call Lamb kind of a little bit of both alternative history as well as um, using humor to get points across. And uh, so there you have it. A whole list of books. I will get the blog done as fast as I can. And I hope you enjoyed this journey into historical fiction. I hope I didn't blather on too much and that my words made sense sometimes I sit here and I listen to myself and I'm not sure that the words that are coming out of my mouth are in complete sentences so hopefully they are and hopefully you enjoy this pass it along tell people about alchemy of genres and let's increase our readership and our listening audience and uh, support your local libraries and let's be kind to each other let's learn something from history and try to do better Thank you. Goodbye.